This morning's scripture reading is taken from Paul's letter to the Colossians, chapter 1, verse 27. Colossians 1, 27. To whom God was pleased to make known what is the riches of the glory of this mystery among the Gentiles, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. Jesus Christ left us an example that we should follow in his steps. So says 1 Peter chapter 2, 21 and 22. Do we mean what we sing? Do we really and truly mean what we sing? You see, a congregation's Hymnology is a reflection of its theology. What we sing about is an indication about what we believe in as we praise God in song and as we seek to encourage each other. Our doctrine in singing is a reflection of our relationship with God. It's really that simple. Christ lives in me, Galatians 2 and verse 20. The things which you both learned and received and heard and saw in me do, and the God of peace will be with you. Philippians 4 and verse 9. Even so let your light shine among men, that they may see your good works and glorify your Father who is in heaven. Matthew 5 and verse 16. He that says he abides in him ought himself to walk even as he walked. 1 John 2, 6. I suggest to you that our singing either praises God and builds us and others up, or our singing incriminates us. Few songs are more thoughtful and worthy of our contemplation than the one we just finished singing. Let the beauty of Jesus be seen in me. All your wonderful passion and purity. May your spirit divine, the spirit of Jesus, all my being refine. Let the beauty of Jesus be seen in me. Wouldn't it be wonderful if every one of us, every single one of us who belong to Christ really and truly believed and practiced what we sang? And then the last verse. It's, this, it's such a simple song. And yet the message is so amazing. You know, there are songs that have great depth, but let the beauty of Jesus be seen in me as almost a devotion and a prayer. And while it teaches some marvelous truths, 
it's probably not going to be on anybody's top ten list as far as most detailed and heavily theological hymns that we sing. It's just not. From the dawn of the morning till close of day, in example and deeds and in all you say, Lay your gifts at his feet. Ever strive to keep sweet. Let the beauty of Jesus be seen in you. Undoubtedly, at some point, just in the next 24 hours, some of us will be need to be needed to be reminded of what we sang. reflecting Jesus. For those of us who belong to Jesus, this is our aspiration. This is our desire. We love Him. We are so amazed by Him and His sacrifice and His goodness that we want to be like Him. We want to reflect Him. And it is amazing to look at Christians in the New Testament and see how they did just that in their own unique way. I'm going to focus on one Bible character that's rather unsung. But we're going to look at him and his life this morning and then we're going to focus on how he reflected Jesus so beautifully and so marvelously in his life. He's found but 12 times in the New Testament. While a companion of Paul, he is not mentioned in the book of Acts at all. And that fascinates me. Because so many of his co-workers, so many of his friends, are initially mentioned in the book of Acts. Not so with this individual. His name is Titus. When you think about Titus, think about a man of conviction, of tact, and contact. When you think of Titus, think about a troubleshooter. A person who is able to walk into difficult circumstances and so live and so teach and so exhort and so rebuke that difficult circumstances tend to improve all to the praise and glory of God. Now that type of person, a troubleshooter, a bridge builder, a man of conviction and passion, that person is somewhat unique. There's plenty of people in the church who can walk in to a very difficult situation and it's not going to get any better. There's some who can walk into a difficult situation and it's going to get far worse because they're almost spiritual arsonists. They have to take gasoline and, and pour it on the problem and light a match. Surely that viewpoint or the viewpoint of coming into it and not helping improve the situation 
a bit is not the will of God. And what I'm getting at, brothers and sisters and friends, more of Titus needs to be in all of us who belong to Jesus. Wisdom in our speech and action in knowing how to deal with difficult circumstances in the body of Christ to encourage people to draw closer to the Lord, His Word, and one another. Titus was great at that. What I want to do is look at four scenes from Titus's life. Four scenes. And then we are going to look at a concluding scene. How Titus reflected Jesus. Since it's all about letting the beauty of Jesus be seen in us. You see, it's not enough to just let the beauty of Jesus be spoken. Or let the beauty of Jesus be considered. The beauty of Jesus is to be seen in us. And that's about as comprehensive an expression as one can think about. Let's look at Titus. Open your Bibles to Galatians chapter 2. When we first encounter Titus, it's in Galatians chapter 2. Especially the first five verses. And here is what is going on. Titus is singing redemption song in Jerusalem. I hope you'll remember that. Here is a Greek, a Gentile, going to Jerusalem singing redemption's song. But as he goes with Paul and others to Jerusalem, note these verses as they speak of an element of false teachers who were present in Jerusalem that had come to spy out our liberty in Jesus. And they were seeking to distort the liberty of the early church in Christ. And here's what they were saying. They were saying what we need to do is this. Gentiles can come to Jesus... But they need to submit if they're males to circumcision. And male and female alike need to submit to various aspects of the law. And we need to make sure that they do this because after all, the law came first. Paul says that some attempt was made to constrain Titus to be circumcised, although he was a Gentile. And then mark verse 5. To whom we gave place, no, to whom we gave submission, no, not for a moment that the gospel of Christ might be preserved. It was a heated discussion. You can admit, you can acknowledge that. You can see that. Because you've got some that are saying, we need to take Titus and circumcise him. 
And he needs to observe various aspects of the law. And you have the Apostle Paul saying something like this. You are adding to the gospel. The gospel doesn't say he that believes and is baptized and is circumcised and observes various aspects of the law shall be saved. It says that we come to God in His grace through faith, and as many of you as are baptized into Christ, put on Christ. Galatians 3, 26 and 27. That the truth of the gospel might be preserved for you. Here's what's happening. Titus is willing to be a test case. He's willing to be a guinea pig. He's willing for some people to be arguing about him and what he's done or what he ought to have done because he believes in the power and preciousness of the gospel. He's singing redemption song in Jerusalem. That is the first scene. Now open your Bibles to 2 Corinthians, especially chapter 2. But turn in your Bibles to 2 Corinthians chapter 7 as well. 2 Corinthians 2, 2 Corinthians 7. In 2 Corinthians, we read more about Titus than any other book in the New Testament. There's more about Titus in 2 Corinthians than in Titus, specifically. There's more about Titus in 2 Corinthians than in Galatians. Titus would be sent, actually he would voluntarily go to Corinth on behalf of Paul to preach and teach. Sideline. If you are a Christian any time, you'll find out some churches are like Corinth. There are problems and troubles galore. There are problems with pride, problems with immaturity. There are problems with doctrinal misunderstandings. There are problems with personalities. And I don't want to discourage you in any way concerning the church because the church of our dear Lord is the most precious thing in all the world to God. And we should love the church. Young people, hear me. Love the church that Jesus shed his blood for. Thank God that even when we have to encounter Christians like the Corinthians, we also get to encounter Christians like the Philippians. We're all going to have a Corinth experience if we're Christians very long. But it's amazing how our marvelous God also gives us a Philippian or a Thessalonian experience, a Smyrna type of experience, a Philadelphia experience, Revelation 2 and 3. Look at 2 Corinthians chapter 2. There were people at Corinth 
that questioned Paul's apostolic credentials. And by that I mean he's really not on a par with Peter. He's really not on a par with James and John. They're questioning his credentials. But it's more than that. That's serious when you're saying that type of thing, making that type of an allegation against an apostle. He's a second-rate apostle. But they also questioned his character, his integrity, and it seems even his manhood as a Christian. Paul couldn't get there to Corinth. He was going through some difficult times. Read 2 Corinthians 1, 3 through 5. So much so that it seems that he even despaired of living for a while. Maybe he didn't know he was going to make it. But in 2 Corinthians chapter 2, verses 12 and 13, he has sent Titus to Corinth to deal with these problems and difficulties. And here's the point I want you to remember. Preaching good news in difficult places. We saw Titus initially singing redemption song in Jerusalem. Now we see him preaching good news in a difficult place like Corinth. Here's what happens. Titus gets there and he's going about his work. And here's what happens, Brother Teague. He doesn't give a report to Paul immediately. It takes time, you know. He's working in people's lives. He's working with the circumstances. And if you're Paul, you are anxious about hearing concerning how things are going. He wants to know about Titus and his whereabouts. And finally, he hears from Titus. His true son in the gospel, Titus 1.4. His son in the faith, 2 Corinthians 2.12 and 13. Now turn over to 2 Corinthians 7, verses 5 through 15. One of the things that was going on there at Corinth was a person was guilty of incest. And many in the church were just kind of proud about it. They were talking about their liberty. And Titus gets there after Paul had said this is wrong and something needs to be done about it. Titus gets there and continues to work and the people involved repent. And in 2 Corinthians 7... Five to the end of the chapter. Titus is, has relayed to Paul all of the things that had been happening at Corinth that were good. And he's doing it, Scott, with enthusiasm and joy. And you can imagine the joy and comfort it brought to the Apostle Paul's heart 
to know that this powder keg, volatile circumstance that really could have hurt the church in the area, given a black eye to the cause of Christ in and around Corinth, it had improved tremendously because of the preaching of the message by Titus and because of the genuine, authentic character he shows. And Paul is just bubbling over with joy. Preaching good news in tough places like Corinth involves preaching the truth in a way to touch their hearts and their heads. The hardest substance on earth quarter inch of human skull the only thing that may be harder is getting through to somebody's heart too. Titus did that with the gospel and at Corinth it made a difference I wonder I wonder Terry I wonder Lynn if proud Arrogant, immature, doctrinally messed up people like Corinth could be convicted by the truth of the gospel again and make strides in the right direction before God Almighty and reflecting Jesus. I wonder who that would leave out. The possibility exists for people who've gotten far away from God and His will to be moved by the gospel. Let's not forget the power of the gospel. I believe with all my heart, far too much of the Lord's church and an entire nation has departed from God and His ways. But we're not going to help them think about it by talking about, well, too much of the church and too much of the world has left. We need to get back to preaching and teaching in such a way as to motivate people to come home. Number three, scene number three. Corinth again. If you have Titus in Corinth preaching good news and people responding positively to the will of God, here in your Bible, if you would... Turn to 2 Corinthians 8 and 9. 2 Corinthians 8 and 9. And it ought to be a familiar passage to many of you as Christians. It's a section dealing with the contribution of the Macedonian churches to help those who were in need back in Judea. For some background, look at Romans 15, 25 through 27. 1 Corinthians 16, 1 and 2. But what I want to bring out here is this. This scene concerning Titus shows him to be a man of great compassion, willingness, 
and integrity. Brother Bill, when you've got somebody that's going to be involved with others in handling money, you want that person to be a person of compassion and sincerity, willingness, and unquestioned ethics and integrity. When Paul mentioned this to Titus, he volunteered. He volunteered to go to congregations throughout Macedonia. It would have included another visit to Corinth. It would have included Philippi. It would have included Thessalonica. It would have included Ephesus and places like that. And here is a man who is willing to be on the go, Brian, for Jesus. And I would suggest many of us are on the go a great deal. But are we on the go for Jesus as it concerns our jobs? As it concerns our travels? As it concerns our recreation and we're traveling to some place for vacation? Reflecting Jesus everywhere we go. Not long ago, I attended a retirement party for a member of this congregation. And one of the things that I appreciated so much is when individuals talked about this person. Everything they said had reference to the person's character, the person's compassion, and their willingness to help. May that tribe increase among Christians. They would say, we never had any doubt that this individual was going to be truthful and honest and sincere. And Paul would call Titus, my partner... And my fellow workers, see this? 2 Corinthians 8.23 My partner and my fellow worker for your benefit. He's going to all you congregations there in Macedonia so that you can show your love and concern for your brothers and sisters. In Jerusalem and throughout Judea where a famine has occurred. Scene number four. Scene number four. Now you can open your Bibles to the book of Titus. Titus. A little three-chapter book after First and Second Timothy. I believe I mentioned here on Wednesday night in a study that 1 Timothy basically deals with protect the gospel, keep the gospel in its purity and its entirety. 2 Timothy deals with preach the gospel. Nothing more, nothing less. 1 Timothy 6.20 for that first reference on protecting the gospel. 2 Timothy 4 verse 2 for 2 Timothy. And what I just mentioned about preaching the gospel. And doing it with all long-suffering and instruction. Then you get to Titus, and it's about living the gospel. We are to adorn the gospel, adorn the doctrine. Titus 2, 9, and 10. 
A key verse of the book of Titus is Titus 1, verse 5. In that verse, Paul instructs Titus to appoint elders in every city and to set in order the things that are lacking. I don't care how great a congregation is, there are some things that can be improved. Amen? And the idea, set in order things that are lacking. Take the fishnets and untangle the ones that are knotted up. And parts of the string that may have been broken in the fishnet, replace. Set in order the things that are lacking. Titus, here's the scene. Setting in order matters at Crete. Singing redemption song in Jerusalem. Preaching the good news in a tough place like Corinth. Displaying integrity and godliness throughout the churches of Macedonia. And now, setting in order things at Crete. Now, you get to Titus, and there is a statement about the people there that was generally held to be true. All Cretans are liars. It goes on to talk about them being evil beasts and gluttons. And then Paul says, this saying is true. There's a lot of truth in what was said about Crete. I mean, now it's probably an expression a lot of young people haven't heard, but those of us who are 50 and older, we've probably heard, don't act like a Cretan. And it's not a compliment. This is where Titus finds himself while his friend and brother and mentor Paul is in prison. Preaching in Crete. Another difficult place. Here's an easy way to remember the contents of Titus. Living for Jesus in the church. Chapter 1. Living for Jesus in the church. Proclaim the word. Titus 1. 1 through 4. Encourage godly leadership. Titus 1. 5 through 10. Titus 1. 5 through 9 rather. And then Titus 1, 10 through 16, deal with false teaching when it arises. Deal with false teaching when it arises. Titus chapter 2, living for Jesus in the home. The first four verses are how you treat older people. 
Five through eight is how you treat younger people. You know, that pretty well covers it. Everybody's either older than you or younger than you for the most part. Then Titus 2, 9 to the end of the chapter. How to serve and to think about servanthood. How to serve and think about servanthood. A lot of people in the church want to be served. More people need to think about how they can serve and what's involved in servanthood. Titus chapter 3. Reflecting Jesus in the world. Titus 3, 1 through 8, reflecting Jesus by respecting authority. Titus 3, 9 through 11, reflecting Jesus by dealing with the erring. It's all about reflecting Jesus. So as Paul writes this book to Titus, he's concerned about the purity and the beauty of the gospel continuing and going on to generations. But that can't happen unless we reflect Jesus. Now here's the fifth scene. Titus reflecting Jesus. Four observations. Observation number one. What was the first point? The first point was singing a redemption song where? In Jerusalem. It had to do with him uh, not being circumcised or forced to be or to observe other aspects of the law because he's a Gentile, a Greek, 100% background it seems. And the truth of the gospel needed to be preserved when people were wanting to add elements to it. He was singing a redemption psalm because he was exhibit A for the grace of God in the Judaizing teacher controversy. That was Titus. Titus reflects Jesus because Jesus is exhibit A for the grace of God that all of us desperately need. He, by the grace of God, tasted of death for every man. Hebrews 2, 9. You yourselves know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, for your sakes he became poor, that you through his poverty might become rich. 2 Corinthians 8, 9. The grace of God that brings salvation has appeared to all men. Titus 2, verses 11 and 12. That is reflecting Jesus in a small way. Next. What's the second main point? He preached good news in a tough place like Corinth. I suggest he reflects Jesus. How so? He came down and preached good news in the most difficult, sin-ridden place. Earth. I believe that Titus was serious about being like Jesus, but he would probably never realize 
that some years later we'd be studying him and how his life reflects Jesus. The gospel remains good news and God's power to salvation. And Titus showed that in a tough place like Corinth and we need to show it in a tough place like Midland. Good news that saves souls and deals with sin and provides healing. Third, the main point was, again, from Corinth, displaying integrity and compassion and honesty. He reflected Jesus. Jesus went about doing good, Acts 10, 38. Which one of you convicts me of sin, Jesus would ask, John 8, 46. No one could sustain a legitimate charge against him concerning sin. Sometimes he was accused of things, but he was never guilty of that which he was accused as it concerned sin. Titus, I'm sure, though imperfectly, reflected the image of Jesus by the way he went to congregations and how he responded to them financially. You ever stop and think that one of the earliest problems in the church dealt with money? Acts 5, 1 through 11, Ananias and Sapphira. Remember that one? Don't be fooled. Money causes a lot more problems in the body of Christ than it should. And how we handle our money says a lot about our relationship with God and reflection of Him. Number four. Setting things in order in Crete. That's what Titus did. But he reflected Christ's image because nobody ever turned things right side up when everything was topsy-turvy the way Jesus did. The Lord still sets things in order. Marriages that look like they were shattered and broken are set in order by Jesus. Lives that may have been prone to to the darkness of addiction and the depths of sin have been set in order by Jesus. Lives are being transformed by Jesus. He's still setting things in order. But it all began when he set things in order, when he cried out, it is finished. John 19, 30. Oh, what a Savior. Now for those of us who are Christians, our greatest desire, our highest ambition, our most fervent prayer should be to reflect Him. When people are guests at our assemblies and they, live, they leave here saying, 
there were people there that really seemed to be reflecting Jesus and love for Jesus. That is something that this church ought to be known for. And people will return when that is true. To reflect Jesus. Let the beauty of Jesus be seen in me. All His wonderful passion and purity. May His Spirit divine all my being refine. Let the beauty of Jesus be seen in us. If you're a Christian, I hope and I pray that will be your desire. And if you've gone astray and need our prayers, we would be glad to humbly pray with you and fervently, passionately so, that you walk with God and reflect the image of Jesus. If you're not a Christian, this very moment of this very hour, you can come to Jesus and be saved by His grace as you put your trust in Him. In faith, turn from your sins and say to yourself, I don't want to live this way anymore. Say to God Himself, I want to do your will and I'm going to need your help. Confess the precious name of Jesus as God's Son and be immersed in water for the forgiveness of your sins and added to the precious body of Christ, the church. Let the beauty of Jesus be seen in us. Let us stand and sing.